Now, the Bible reading for day today begins in Romans chapter 14, verse 13, and goes to 15, verse 7. So that's Romans 14, 13, and then to verse 7 of the next chapter. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean. But it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep them between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself or herself by what he or she approves. But whoever doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should bless our neighbours for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed and, moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. 
as it is written, Therefore I praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Denise. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you again. My name is Tim, if you're new with us. It's great to see you. And hi to everyone who is streaming in through YouTube. Um, you would see that towards the end of that passage, Paul, so verses four, 5 and 6, Paul has a prayer and he's praying that Christians will be unified. You'll hear the language of he hopes to see and he trusts that he will one day see through the work of God's Spirit uh, in answer to his prayer that with one mind and one voice, the people of God will glorify God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The mere fact that there's a prayer in Scripture shows that we're not there yet. Um, Paul Paul is praying for a reality to manifest itself. And we see that throughout this part of Romans, Paul has been talking about the need for unity. And it's all based off the fact that God has created unity. He's already won unity for us. For us who trust in God, we are unified to God through Jesus And as we each are unified to God, we find ourselves united to one another. That's already a reality. It's been one, but yet there's a present kind of manifestation of that that has to come into our daily lives. And this side of heaven, it's clear that that will be an ongoing work. Um, And so it gives us great pain going through this work. Um, Many of us have experienced differences amongst Christian brothers and sisters. You can end up falling out with one another, and that's really sad and hurtful. Um, At a corporate level, some of us have been involved in church splits, and that's really hurtful. And all that stuff speaks to the fact that we're not there yet. Um, It takes a lot of work to bring about unity. This passage today, recognising that Um, we're not there yet, puts an emphasis on those of us who are strong to do some particular actions and have some particular attitudes in order to manifest more and more every day in our church the unity that Christ has won. So even if you are thinking, well, I'm, I'm one of the weak brothers or sisters in Christ, don't check out just because the emphasis is on strong, because Quite frankly, most of us kind of read ourselves as the strong one in these passages. And the reality is, isn't it, that all of us relative to Christ are weak. And Christ has borne with our weaknesses in order to make us strong. So this is a message for everyone. Just to map where we're going, um, just to help us all out, I can put up on the screen uh, four things we'll be doing. So firstly, two brief points. Um, The first one being 
uh, the strong need to bear with. Um, so we'll look at what bearing with is about. The strong also are called to build up. So we'll have a look at that. Uh, then I just want to talk through a bit of a key principle that the strong, uh, all of us, particularly the strong, should embrace when it comes to talking about scripture and theological issues. And then lastly, we're going to celebrate our unity with the Lord's Supper. And this is really exciting, particularly where we're at this year, to, to be able to do this once again. So we're doing this in a very COVID-safe way. But, um, so people at home, grab your elements. But by all means, if you feel uncomfortable, um, we're not going to see that as a theological weakness. You may choose that um, it's appropriate for you at this time to opt out, and that's fine. So we'll get to that. Uh, Shortly. Okay, so point number one, which we can put on the screen. Um, What does it mean for the strong to bear with? So have a look at chapter 15, verse 1. We see that we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Now, I've put as a subtitle here that the, the strong, what it means to bear with, particularly means to not crush the conscience of a weaker brother or sister. So we looked last week at how the reality uh, in the Christian community is that we all have different consciences. We don't totally align to one another, uh, even as we are faithfully trying to serve the Lord as Lord, still works out that on a lot of different areas, we don't align perfectly. And so that's a reality, and we have to um, recognise that and simultaneously recognise that no one of us totally aligns with God's will. So we're all a work in progress. We're all on a journey. But particularly for the strong, if you identify as strong, then it is incumbent on you to not crush the conscience of the weak. We see in this particular situation in Rome, um, Paul seems to paint a picture where it could end up that the strong person pressurizes the weak person to go against their conscience. So as we went through our reading, the language is pretty strong. Verse 15, have a look. <clears throat> if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat. You are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. The language goes on in verse 20. Um, All food is clean, but it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. And then in verse 21, it's better not to eat meat or drink or wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister, to fall. The situation seems to be where the strong person in their freedom and understanding is coming up next to a weaker person who, you know, in the view of the strong person may have some misunderstandings, and the strong person is just boring in, wanting to pressurise that person to go against their conscience. Now, this is not talking about um, the reality that you could, you know, it's not saying you can't talk about things, 
That's not even saying that we have to adopt a minimalist approach where everyone must learn to agree to disagree. It seems to be a situation where you could end up putting pressure and coercion on a person to go against their conscience in order to maintain fellowship, in order to, um, you know, you could be using language or actions that display, if you do not do this, I will judge you or not accept you or not call you a Christian. It seems to be that kind of situation. And the strong are being asked to not crush the conscience of a weaker person, to allow space for them to go with their conscience, to keep honouring the Lord as Lord. Never ever should they go against their conscience. Never ever should any one of us go against our conscience. The end of verse 22 says, Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. I take it that means... Um, blessed is the person who what they end up doing is not condemned in their conscience. That's a great place to be. Even if it works out that you might have misunderstood some things, to, to before the Lord, honour him as Lord and not go against the, your conscience is a blessed thing. Paul makes clear, if, if you have doubts, if you're thinking it's the wrong thing to do this before the Lord and you keep going ahead with it, even if it worked out that the act in itself is not a sin, to go against your conscience before the Lord is sin. So verse 23, But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. So we as the strong, as we come against Uh, come up uh, and bump against weaker brothers and sisters in Christ, we do not want to be coercing them or pressuring them to go against their conscience. Um, We want to leave space just like Jesus has. Jesus is held up as an example by Paul. Um, Christ, verse 3, 15, 3. Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Christ, even Christ with our weaknesses, allows space for us to grow. He doesn't pressurize us or condemn and judge us. He's done all the work. And so we as strong brothers and sisters need to model that. Um, Essentially, it's um, whatever our actions are, whatever the situation is, we we want to be putting people first before little rules. Even if they're very important rules, we want to be putting the love of people and their love of the Lord first. This is a lesson I've been trying to teach my young fella, Kale. Um, over the years, we just use this phrase, um, you know, if he's you know, getting antsy on play equipment or with toys, that people are more important than toys and stuff. You've got to keep that in mind as you do things. And he threw it back in my face this week because he had Lego all over the floor. I was about to vacuum and I said, can you get all that Lego out of the way? Because I'm about to vacuum. Yeah, yeah. I come back. It hasn't been cleaned up. Can you get it out of the way? I'm about to vacuum. Yeah, yeah. Come back a third time. It hasn't been cleaned up. And I said, right, I'm going to vacuum that Lego up. And he goes, people are far more important than vacuuming. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a good principle. Yeah. Okay, number two. 
here we go. Um, the strong, we are called to build others up. So even as we allow space for the conscience and we don't want to pressurise people, it's not do nothing, it's not adopt a minimalist approach, it's not agree to, do, to disagree, but it's all in a context of building them up. Uh, verse 2, each of, of 15, each of us should please our neighbours for their good to build them up. So I've put there, um, well, first I should say, the strong desire that the weak become strong, right? That's a good desire. We, we, want, we want people to have all the freedoms in Christ. We want them to know uh, Christ and following him clearly. So it's a good desire for the strong to want to see that the weak also become strong. However, we persuade them not by pressure or coercion, but by God's word, by scripture. We want to persuade the weaker brother and build them up to be stronger, not with peer pressure, but with scripture. Paul is using scripture even here as he seeks to persuade his fellow um, brothers and sisters. Verse 4, he says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So we, we want to use scripture and God's voice, the Lord's voice, as what brings someone from a weak position to a strong position. You don't want them to go against their conscience. You want them not under peer pressure, but to be persuaded by scripture that it is now permissible to do this. We want to persuade using Scripture. Now, of course, um, that can be done in unloving ways, can't it? You know, uh, you've probably experienced that. Maybe done it yourself, and upon reflection, gone oh, in, in my zeal to, you know, persuade with Scripture. You can very easily um, just bore over people and not love them. So, with all these things, we have to keep thinking about how to do do the truth in love. Because God has organised his Christian community to be involved in one another's lives as we're not uh, yet fully manifesting one voice and one mind. We're on that journey. He involves us in speaking the truth to one another. Um, we are the ones that have to draw one another back to Scripture and speak the truth of Scripture to each other. Um, but we can be very good, it's easy to be very good only on speaking the truth and not speaking the truth in love. So Ephesians 6 is where that comes from, and the whole book of Ephesians is also about the unity that has been won in Christ. So let's manifest that by speaking the truth in love. So what we see here is that in the Christian church, this side of heaven, there can be diversity in belief. But it's not a diversity that's necessarily cherished. You know, we're not meant to say, this is great that we all disagree and that's, you know, that in, in itself is good that we can all get along. It's a, it's a diversity that is tolerated on the journey to unity. So we have to figure out in lots of different ways what that might look like to love and tolerate diversity in beliefs on our way 
to discovering and coming together in one mind and one voice um, before the Lord. And look, when, we, when it comes to using Scripture, we, it, might not be, uh, it, might, it might be something that in community we have to loop around for quite some time with one another, coming to, back to Scripture to hear what it says. Because all of us have the experience that um, things aren't always as clear straight away. And part of what this is addressing is that things aren't clear straight away. When we come to Scripture, we can have all sorts of things going on, one, we're finite, so we often can't process a lot of things all at once, right? Um, the other thing is that we're sinners and we don't like a lot of what we hear straight away. And not even just at the level of, um, I'm hearing it, I understand it, I don't like it, so I'm going to resist it. But such is sin that we can, we can just be blind. Like we, we, sometimes we don't even know we're not seeing things. And so again, with one another, with this reality that we all experience, we need to allow space for growth as we keep looping back to Scripture. And we've also got worldviews and cultural baggage and things that we have. And so we just come at different angles. And so we have to spend time with one another looping back onto Scripture. Um, another example, I gave you an example last week of the cultural differences between my family at Christmas, Deb's family and my family. We also have some big cultural differences over birthdays as well, when it comes to singing happy birthday. And look, they've, well, for Deb, she's taken quite some time to become theologically strong on where you sing happy birthday. So, I, I, and I think you would agree with me that it is right, proper, moral and theological to sing happy birthday before you blow out the candles, Right? That's what they do in the movies. You see, they, they bring the cake out, they walk the cake out, everyone's singing happy birthday, someone blows, and then you do hip, hip, hooray, right? Well, she does it the other way. Her family does it the other way. Is there anyone that does it the other way like that? This is very validating. <laughs> so, but, but, look... There could have been a lot of tension there. There could have been a lot of fighting and opposition. But I tolerated this diverse <laughs> belief for a little while, um, for many years, in fact. Um, and sometimes it takes just tolerating and looping back and allowing space for people to grow. And so we moved away from her family here on the Central Coast for 11 years down to Melbourne. And she was out of the bubble. She was out of the bubble and she realised that so many other people sung happy birthday, then blew out the candles, not blow out the candles, then sing happy birthday. And so now, thankfully, um, we come back into her family situation and she sees clearly. She goes, yes, the whole world sings it that way. This is odd. We've got other in-laws coming in. They're validating as well. But it's still, still tense. So when we get together as our little family community, we sing happy birthday before and after, to keep everyone happy. But Deb's come to a good, strong theological position. And, uh, but in all honesty, um, she... So I, I had to use that example because I didn't want to use a, a real theological issue with family involved. It's, uh, <laughs> to be... <laughs> well, hey, I'm up here. I'm not going to do that to anyone. But Deb, in all honesty, she has been the stronger one for the most part of our life and through God's grace and her tolerance, um, I've even come, you know, to, she and I are unified 
in many of the things that we believe. And that's, that's what we're called to do with one another, is to find out creative ways that we can tolerate diversity of belief in order to come to one mind and one voice. Okay, so there's a problem that might be arising in your head as we think about that. So one, we don't want to crush the conscience, we're allowing space. Two, um, we're allowing space in a context where we're not putting peer pressure, but we want people to be persuaded by scripture. Um, you probably have had um, the problem where you, you run into conversations with people and people will dispute about what is the indisputable. So here, these two things that Paul's urging us to do, he is talking about actions, behaviours and motivations to do with disputable matters. Back at 14 verse 1, um, these are actions that the strong are to do are over disputable matters. So the big problem is what is a disputable matter? And you probably have experienced that we can often argue about what is indisputable versus disputable. So I'm going to offer um, uh, a principle that we as the strong people can embrace as we want to allow space but recognise that even the conversation can be about what is indisputable versus disputable. Um, and we first should say that so if, the, if you've got two columns, indisputable and disputable, the only way that we know what are indisputable is what Scripture says is indisputable. And again, with the caveat that sometimes we don't see that straight away. You know, we, you know, we, we've talked about how we all have to keep looping around Scripture to learn what is indisputable. Um, and just because there are indisputable things and people dispute about them doesn't suddenly put indisputable things into the disputable column. Now, our starting point is that Scripture defines what is indisputable. But given there's a bit of a problem with that we don't all read Scripture um, totally the same and clearly all at once, um, I want to offer this key principle about talking, uh, when, we, when it comes to talking about Scripture and theological things between the strong and the weak. And that is that even as we say Scripture is the supreme authority. That is our baseline. That is where we go to. Even more primary is that within Scripture, the gospel is put up as the nerve centre that makes sense of all of Scripture. So I've got a little picture of a nerve. The gospel is central to all of Scripture. And so that's helpful to remember because as we might talk about different things, sometimes we can always start the conversation out on the edge of Scripture, but the conversation always needs to start in the centre where the gospel is the climax, the main part, that it's the uh, epicentre of which everything makes sense. Jesus said this in John 5, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify me, that testify about me. All of scripture holds that the gospel is the center of it all, it gives structure to it all. 
And so let's just think, what, think clearly about what we're saying with the gospel. So the gospel is that the event of Jesus, God coming as a man as Jesus and the events of his life, death and resurrection, is the gospel. That's the center point. Um, Jesus says, all of it is about me and that. Uh, even there, you know, it will go on to clarify that it's not just about Jesus as a man or as a God-man. It is about Jesus, the God-man, who died, and not just died, but died for sins. Not just died for sins, but died as a substitute for sins. The God-man died as a substitute for sins. That is the gospel event that gives structure to all of Scripture. And for us who put our faith and believe in that, we find Jesus is our Lord and Saviour. And the reason that we even now go and read Scripture is because Jesus is Lord. That gospel event where he died for sins as a substitute, Jesus is also raised by God and vindicated as Lord of the universe. Everything that exists is about him. And so the reason that we go and read scripture is a response to Jesus being our Lord and Saviour. So when it comes to talking about anything in the Bible and how to follow the Lord, um, we don't want to just have loose conversations that just are talking out on the edge, the Bible says this and that. We need to be talking with one another from that centre point of the gospel, the gospel event where Jesus is Lord. And now with him as Lord, we want to go follow him. So here's two little questions that you might find helpful you might want to jot down, that I find helpful when conversations get rough or confusing, is we always, whatever the issue, whatever the issue, we want to think about, how does this relate to the gospel? Is this an issue that the way it's being talked about is actually going to explode the very logic of the gospel? And that really changes how serious the issue is. So a little bit more than just having categories of important, unimportant, primary versus secondary, um, indisputable versus disputable. It's better to think of things graded in terms of seriousness in context, in seriousness relating to the gospel. So a great example that comes up in the Bible time and time again is circumcision. In one context, Paul will make it a prohibition to get circumcised. He'll say, Titus, I prohibit you to get circumcised. So you, you could think, well, that's, that's the rule. Uh, but then in another context, he will say to Timothy, you really should get circumcised. And it's a matter of context in relation to the gospel. In the first instance, Galatians, people were saying, to be saved, in order to be saved, believe in Jesus and also make sure you are circumcised. And at that point, Paul says it explodes the gospel up. becomes a, The whole thing falls down. 
But for Timothy, it wasn't anything to do with actually understanding the internal logic of the gospel. It is... it was a good idea to actually win a hearing for the gospel for him to be come circumcised so that he could move around the, the toilets and family houses without raising questions. So that's the first question as we think about any issue is how does this relate to the gospel? And then secondly, a good question to ask about any issue is how is our reading of scripture submitting to the Lord of the gospel. With what we look at scripture, when we come to looking at scripture and wrestling through things, we want to constantly be going, how is this a faithful reading to submitting to the Lord of scripture? Um, And that, that covers the fact that we don't read things clearly all the time. We want to keep coming back to going, The Lord is Lord. He has spoken. He calls us as disciples to listen to Scripture in order to submit to him. So we want to be reading Scripture in a way over any issue that says, how does this reading and understanding submit us to Jesus as Lord of our lives? And of course, all of that has to be done with truth in love and You'll notice that I didn't give too many real examples in this talk because that's the difficulty. It just changes depending on what you're talking about, who you're talking with, when you're talking, whether it's worth talking about it now or later. That's what love is, figuring out what's the best context, figuring out in prayer before God and maintaining love and protecting their conscience and highlighting that the Lord is Lord for us all. He's won the day. takes great wisdom, and we just have to you know, be in the moment and figure out what that looks like. But bearing those principles in mind, that we don't want to crush the conscience, we don't want to call people to go against their true honouring of the Lord if they are not yet persuaded by Scripture that it's permissible and it would be submitting to their Lord to do this or that. So now, as we finish, we're going to do the Lord's Supper, which is a beautiful thing to do because in this act of eating and drinking together, um, we actually express our unity on that core central thing of the gospel, the event of Jesus' life, death and resurrection for us. We can still have a lot of diverse beliefs going on in our Christian community, but here we manifest that we are united and unity has been won by Christ and we're on a journey to displaying that more and more in our life.
Well done, everyone. That was great. That worked out really well, uh, despite my lesson in how to over-explain a sign. <laughs> so that's great. All right, so um, you might want to open this up and have a bit of concentration so you don't spill it. Get that ready. We'll eat and drink together. Um, just as you're doing that, I want to read some words from Jesus after the Last Supper when he um, first broke bread um, as a demonstration as they ate together of them all sharing in his work. Um, he also went on in John, we learn about this, to, to pray and speak about their unity. So let me read some of the prayer that Jesus offers up at this time. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, and they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. That's a beautiful prayer. And today, this is an example of that prayer being answered. So let us drink and eat together in unity to our Lord and Saviour. Heavenly Father, as we've just eaten and drunk together, united in Christ, we echo the prayer of Paul. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give us the same attitude of mind towards each other that Jesus Christ had, so that with one mind and one voice we may glorify you, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>